Welcome to a brand new episode of the Over and Stumps Cricket Podcast, powered by the Inner Sanctum Network. Another massive week in the world of cricket, and we're here to talk you through everything and anything that has gone on with a bat or a ball on an oval. Joining me again this week, well, he did so well last week, is backed up for another week, Zach Standish. Zach, how you doing? Very well, thanks, Jono. It's very good to be back for a second week in a row. So I'm very, very keen to chat cricket with all you guys. Well, you put up such a good performance last week, especially talking about your admiration for Rishat Pant, and it's only gone and done some craziness again. And I think, well, we're probably going to talk about him again on this week's show that we might as well have you back to declare your love for him again. I absolutely love him. I can't wait for that. Yes, and my boy Shubman Gill's apparently off for scans as well. Um, we do have another debutant joining us on the Over and Stumps podcast, a brand new member of the family, not a new member of the Inner Sanctum family, but new to the Over and Stumps family, live from Birmingham in the UK, which is perfect because it's an Ashes year coming up and we love the banter. Her name is Emily Marshall. Emily, thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on here, a different voice, a different perspective. And well, I don't know if she, I don't know if you woke up in the early hours of the morning to see England play in the second test match. Did you um, decide to put yourself through that? Um, I didn't this morning, but I, I do before. So I normally get up at six for the second session um, because I, I just can't face 4am. Like I love England, but I just can't do it. Well, I don't, I don't, my time zones aren't that good, but I can't suspect there might have been a lot of cricket by the time you, <laughs> I can't suspect there would have been a lot of cricket by the time that you in England woke up. And it is the starting point for today's show. We were recording last week right in the middle of England and Jimmy Anderson absolutely putting India to the ropes and going ahead in that test series. But India, true to form, much like they did. Down here in Australia, not too not too long ago, they bounced back and sure as hell, they bounced back with an absolute vengeance. Yeah, for sure. It was a great performance from India. They um, absolutely had to bounce back. They were embarrassed on their home soil for the first time in God knows how long, at least four or five years. So they did what many of us thought they would and bounced back. And yeah, it's really set up for a great series from here, I reckon. Lots made about the pitch. Obviously, with it with COVID, there's limited amounts of venues. It was a surprise that they even got fans back in the stand for the second test in Chennai. Lots of discussion about the pitch, which was absolutely turning square. Well, right from ball one, it seems. It was very, very difficult for any batsman to really get in. You only had to see the ball that Moeen Ali bowled to Virat Kohli, which absolutely ripped and gripped. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more a bit later, but uh, not particularly over in England, there was a lot of talk about the way that the pitch was on and the way that some of the teams batted on it. So we'll throw it over to you, Emily, as the English, as the, as the Brit on this show, what were your thoughts on the pitch and the strip that was prepared in this test match compared to the absolute docile road that they used only last week in Chennai? 
Well, obviously, because it was a road last week, they had like a lot of criticism last week um, that they had to produce a pitch for their players. Like, it's no secret over here, we produce green seamers to suit Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad. So over there, they produced bat wicket. Um, I think a lot of the criticism was, some of it was pretty valid, but some of it wasn't. Um, Naturally, like everywhere you go, like a home pitch is going to produce to suit their players. And like you said, they were embarrassed for the first time in however long, like they needed a pitch that suited them to bounce back. Um, England just didn't apply themselves very well. They could have batted on it. Um, They had the players to bat on it, but they just didn't apply themselves very well. So I think one, yeah, it wasn't a great pitch to bat on. Um, India, obviously, it suited them so much more than it did England, but England just didn't apply themselves the best they possibly could have. One person who really showed everyone how to bat on that pitch in the first innings was Roy Sharma, who was, um, he had he had the Bannerman um, in line for a long while there as he was going along, but really absolutely batted beautifully on day one as there was absolute carnage all around him. He batted and batted his way over to, 161 really showing everyone how to how to bat on that pitch sack has only really got one gear really and that's hit out and hit big and really go along but especially over the last few years since he's gone to the top of the order in test cricket in India he's really become a really really consistent player yeah for sure I mean with Rohit Sharma he just really has to be in in one of those moods we've seen it in one day cricket before where he reels out those double hundreds and you're just sitting there thinking like this guy is the best cricketer I've ever seen and he and he he did it on day one there there were batsmen falling all around him Virat Kohli got you know got an absolute pearl through the gate and you just see Rohit Sharma out there making it look easy so I think he's 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 one of the absolute best cricketers to watch I think in world cricket and yeah he, he showed it really when you know the pressure was on. India 1-0 down. Wickets falling early. He stood up and he's definitely, you know, solidified himself as one of the best opening batsmen in the world at the moment. It probably would have been someone like a Virat Kohli or a Steve Smith to be the first person to review getting bold. But the look on his face after Mo and Ali ripped one through the gate, as you said there, Zach, the look on his face and almost the disbelief that a player like Moeen Ali got got him out bold. It was quite a funny moment on day one. It, it was actually very, um, very similar to um, Barrett Cole. He let, leave him on from Steve O'Keefe on off peg in uh, 2017. Yeah, that exact same look on his face. So I one thought it was quite funny, but he, he actually did come back in the second innings and batted beautifully. So it was, um, good, it was good to see a player of his quality bounce back. But yeah, it was just very funny to see how similar it was to that, that uh, Stephen O'Keefe ball in 2017. I personally really enjoyed it and absolutely loved that smirk on his face being absolutely wiped off by Marion Alley. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Similarities to Mike Gatting. Like, how on earth did that just get me out? It was a great ball, though. Um, and, like, I f- uh, was so pleased for Marion Alley in that moment as well because he'd had, like, a really rough time recently. Like, he got COVID. He spent, like, three weeks in his room. He was a doubt for the second test. So... Yeah, I'm like I was just so so pleased that he actually got Virat, and Virat couldn't believe his eyes. Yeah, Moeen Ali was definitely one of the stories of this game. Away from how well India played, I mean, he took four wickets in both innings, and the way he batted at the end there was just um, it was great to watch. So for a player who, as you said, has been through a lot of turmoil recently, to come out and perform like that in his first game back, it's just great to see because he, he he's definitely a player who deserves a bit more of a crack at Test cricket. After I think think the Australians got to him a bit over those uh, two series. Yeah, and obviously. Um, this morning, it's actually been announced that he will go home um, after this uh, test match because 
it's his decision. They've said, Joe Root confirmed earlier that it's his decision to go home. He spent a lot of time in the bubble. Um, and obviously he had that separate isolation period as well, which was he admitted was so much more hard, um, so much harder, sorry, um, than just doing the normal isolation, which in itself is so difficult, all the players have said. So, yeah, he's actually chosen to go home, uh, which is um, like not unfortunate because it's obviously his decision. If he feels he needs to do that, then that's best. But he obviously played so well. Um, this test, it would have been nice to see how he maybe would have progressed through the series. It's really been something that's really been thrust into the spotlight now, especially after with Moeen Ali going home and after the way that England performed so well in the first test match, their rotation policy that they've implemented for this year, they've got that many test matches and white ball cricket commitments to get through this year. There's going to be so much cricket going on and you can understand the need for rest, but it's really thrown that, whole idea of the rotation policy and play especially playing in 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 india one of the hardest series in the world you're, you're one nil up then surely you go ahead and you pick your best team available especially with a week's break between the second and third test it's been thrown under a lot of scrutiny um over in england and around the world I, I do. I, I completely get it. Like it is so hard for them i think south africa was quite a big turning point for it i think in england it was sort of like a new thing and it was just, let's do this to get some cricket on and we'll do whatever it takes. Um, South Africa, they struggled a lot more. Um, obviously, there was a lot of um, things going on in South Africa as well, like the questions whether South Africa stuck to the bubble, all the positive tests, the coming home early, all of that. I think it threw it more into light. Um, I personally think you play your best players until they maybe say actually, this isn't okay for me. Like, if Johnny Bairstow was like, I'm totally fine with playing all four test matches in India, then that's okay, you let him play. And the same with Joss Butler. Like, they are your best players to spin at the end of the day. I completely get COVID cricket calendar. England's year is packed, absolutely packed. I completely get that. But I think it's player discretion, personally. Um, if Joss Butler's like, no, I'm happy to play. I love playing in India. I'm a great player of spin. Then he should be out there, and the same as Johnny. Um, and then do what Moen said and said, actually, this isn't really, um, I'm not comfortable anymore. I would like some time at home. And then that's absolutely fine. Like, no one would say anything. I'm not, like, I'm not scrutinising England because I think the way they're bringing it to light, all the issues around a bubble is great. And I think it does need a lot more um, airtime. But I think, I think it's up to the player. And also, I think you, in India, you play your best 11. Yeah, I agree. I think that England may have missed, uh, missed, missed a bit of a trick, you know, completely changing their, their fast bowling attack there. I mean, obviously, it was back-to-back tests, and they do have all that cricket to play this year. But I think that there would have been merit in playing at least one of Jofra or Jimmy and giving them, um, you know, because Broad, Broad and Ollie Stone isn't really the most potent fast bowling attack on those, you know, f- flat Indian wickets. So I, I would have liked to see Joffre play this match and then bring Jimmy back for the um for the for the day night test, um and I think that that kind of threw them off from the start. Yeah, honestly, I, I just reckon that because their their fast bowlers were really a major part to why they won that first test. Well, it's part of the England policy that they've committed to this rotation policy, and they've also with that committed to one test for one test for Stuart Broad, one test for Jimmy Anderson. Okay. Yeah. If they're playing in England, there's scope and there's room to play them both, but particularly in overseas condition, it's if you're going to play one of stone or Archer and one of 
and one of one of either Anderson and Broad plus the spinners there. There's the dropping of Don Best, which is a completely separate issue after he performed so well in that first test. But I think both both of you have made perfectly valid points. Is that England should have read the situation? It's like okay, we're one we're one nil up here. We've got a real chance to go on with it now and do something that we haven't done since 2012. And that's win a series in India. We're on this incredible run of away test wins. Let's keep a good thing going for now. We've got a week between test matches. It'll certainly be a major talking point as they go along. And I, I guess we're all going to be watching with bated breath to see what their team sheet looks like come the third test in Ahmedabad. Zach, one of the star performers in this Test match. It was his home test match. He's one of well, he's one of the all-time greats now. Ravi Chandran Ashwin, absolutely. Well, he put in a performance of for the ages, and he just continues to break record. This guy is now got twenty-six five-wicket hauls in seventy-six completed test matches. He's one behind the great Jimmy Anderson, and Jimmy's played one hundred and fifty-eight test matches. Something ridiculous. The other names on that list, which is getting close to getting close to he's gone ahead of Glenn McGrath is just tailing Rangana Harath who's I'm sure he'll catch if not by the end of this series then in the English summer when England are over there he is just a marvelous marvelous exponent of finger spin bowling yeah he he's honestly incredible um Ravi Chandran Ashwin I mean I, I, I actually brought up that that stat last week I mean I was just absolutely ridiculous and then he goes out and does it again with another fifer so just absolutely crazy stuff. I mean, to have played, you know, 76 tests and already have 29 five-wicket holes, it just shows, you know, once, he, once he's on, he's on, he, you know, he, he gets his wickets in clumps, which is so important in, in those Indian conditions. He absolutely tore the heart out of England in that first innings. And, yeah, and then he um, bounced back with the bat and, really, India may have, could, could have been a little bit dodgy if, if Ravi Chandran Ashwin doesn't, you know, pull out that, that 100 in the second innings there, so... Just fantastic stuff, and yeah, he's definitely one of the one of the absolute greats in terms of spinning arounders. Well, it was it was an interesting talking point you raised there. Where when he when he walked out to bat, you mentioned that India were in a bit of a pickle, and yes, they were chasing declaration runs. But Virat Kohli almost gave him a bit of a stern word when he walked out there, and I was like, "Come on, I need someone to stay with me." And well, not only did he stay with him, he went out there and battered his way to his fifth Test hundred. Um, five test hundreds more than Tim Payne, which is a very funny subplot of this story. Um, Payne was actually trending on Twitter moments after Ashwin scored his fifth hundred, which is rather rather funny down here. But in terms of taking five wickets and then scoring a hundred, well, Ashwin's now done it three times. Um, Ian Botham's done it five times and Ashwin's done it three times and the likes of Sobers, Mushtaq Muhammad, Jacques Callas and Shakib have all done it twice. It's just, it's just a phenomenal record and continuing a real purple patch of form for him down here in Australia and then back on his home track in Chennai. Yeah, for sure. I mean, with, um, with Ashwin, he came into this Australian summer with, with a bunch of question marks. I mean, he, he hadn't really performed in Australia to come out here, take four for in the first innings in Adelaide and really set up, set up the match for them, which they probably should have won if they didn't capitulate on the third day there. So um, Ravi Chandran Ashwin has really taken his game to yet an, another level over these last four months. And yeah, as I said before, he's, he's one of the absolute greats in terms of spinning arounders. And I'm just very excited to see what he can do over these next two matches. Well, how much of a, how much do you think the English 
batters will learn how to negate him and his influence because he's he's phenomenal in his own conditions. Yeah, watching him is like obviously he's on the other side of the team, so it's not it's not always great to watch watching England not like not have an answer to get him out. But I have to completely hold my hands up and give absolute credit to him that he played absolutely incredible for his hundred. Um, and his bowling is amazing, and England just like. I don't know how much they're learning on the tour. It seems like a few players seem to be getting out in the same sort of way. Um, so I'm not sure how much they're learning, but hopefully they can bounce back um, next test. And hopefully the pitch is a bit more maybe neutral, but I'm not holding out much hope for that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not sure. They, they will be learning, but I wish they'd just put that into practice sometimes. All right. So there's two games to go, but the result and the comprehensive result of this test win for India it probably means that they're back in pole position to qualify for that final of the World Test Championship in Australia. Well, they probably won't qualify now that India started rolling. And as, you, as you've alluded to, Zach, before we head now into the day-night test, a very quirky thing to note with day-night test, the last day-night test that they played in India, all of the 20 wickets India claimed, they all came off the same bowlers. I can't imagine that will be the case this time around. It's definitely going to help England, I think, having a day-night test here, especially after that loss. Um, Jimmy Anderson un- under the lights. Joffre will, will more than likely be back in, in, in the mix as well. So I think this, this honestly couldn't have come at a better time for them. And, yeah, if they're going to come back into the series and level it up and um, you know, get go 2-1 go up, it's, um, it's, it's going to be this, this match here. Yeah, as an England fan, this is the perfect time for a day-night test. Um, this is Obviously, this is why Jimmy didn't play. He played the first one, rested for this one, and they were going to save him always for the day-night test. Um, I don't think 20 wickets are going to go to seam. I think there will be some spin. But it is it, it has come at a better, at the perfect time for England. They need a test where they can bounce back and, um, and embarrass India again. So this is a perfect chance. Well, he'll be fresh and fit. And if Jimmy can produce two more of those absolute rip-snorters that got um, Shubman Gill and Ajinka Rahane like in the first test. Um, wow, it'll be it'll be something good to watch. Um, Zach, we were recording at the time when he bowled those two deliveries. I was very disappointed when I went to watch the replay after and we couldn't watch them live, but it was, it was great to watch. Alas, there's more test cricket going on. Bangladesh and the West Indies, they've finished off their series over in Bangladesh. And this has been a fantastic couple of weeks for the West Indies, a third string side going over there. And I I think we've got a contender for cricketing photo of the year. Um, Zach, it's Rakeem the dream and just getting absolutely smothered by all his teammates. What a man. This is why we love test cricket. I, we, we, we talked about it last week with, you know, the, these close finishes and just, you know, how, how great the game is. And this, and this shows it here. I mean, the West Indies, they go over to Bangladesh. Half, half up, most of the team, you know, don't, don't want to buy it. They're there sitting, sitting at home by the pool, you know, bit, three, bit of sun over in Barbados. Three, four, and five of that batting order last week were all on debut. Absolutely crazy, and it was um yeah it was obviously going Carl Mayers last week, and this week it's Rakeem the Dream, you know, coming through in the clutch at the end there. It's just great stuff, and you know, for the West Indies, a, a team who. Yeah, let's be honest. They they haven't had, they haven't had a lot of you know, big, you know had a lot of triumphs over the last few years. So so to see them do this in um, spinning conditions against a relatively strong Bangladesh side, 
in their conditions, it must be said. I mean, they've beaten both of our teams over there in recent times. So it's just absolutely fantastic to see. And, yeah, a photo like that just um, just typifies why, why we all love Test cricket. It almost is too good to believe. But, unfortunately, this result for Bangladesh, it just leaves them – well, it just leaves them further and further down the hole as these nations, these other cricketing nations like – Afghanistan and Ireland continue to improve their their test cricket and cricketing capabilities overall. Bangladesh, they keep sliding further and further and there's now questions over the coach. There's questions over the captain who's a relatively new captain because the other captain couldn't really perform and get the job done. And they've got an upcoming tour to New Zealand in which Shakib Al-Hassan has requested paternity leave from who is their best player and probably won't end up making the tour. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of dire straits for Bangladesh cricket. And while it's important for everyone to support them and play them and get cricket, cricket into them because they're important for the world game, they can't help themselves at the moment by not perform and get a competent team together. Yeah. I was just about to say, it seems that there's like one problem after another for Bangladesh and, like a few years ago when like I first got into cricket, it seemed like they were not up there with the top nations, obviously, but they were never sort of further down than Ireland or anything like that. But as the years have gone on, then we saw Ireland come over to England and absolutely push England to the max. England's play incredibly well to beat them. And it just sort of seems that they're not where they should be. They have the players and they do have the personnel to be um, fighting but they're just not and I, I think a lot is stacked against them like all the issues you've just mentioned above is obviously not going to help them uh, but yeah they they could be doing so much better I feel and it's just another problem after another problem it's now time for this oh. <laughs> well, that's the funniest thing I've seen for a long time now how many of you picked this up I can't believe it and he can't either so this segment got a bit of traction last week, Zach. We've um, we've put in a formal request to the boss, and hopefully by this time next week we'll have that GoFundMe page for Shubman Gill's bat sponsorship up and going. <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, what? Um, and this is the time where we um, have a bit of a vent and talk about something that caught our eye this week in this absolutely bonkers game that is cricket. Um could be something that happened at local level, although local cricket didn't happen this week in Melbourne because we're all in lockdown, <laughs> or something that's happened on the international or domestic level. So as you're the debutante, we're going to give you the new ball. <laughs> oh, thanks. I feel like Jimmy Anderson. <laughs> um, so mine is the Joe Root um, LBW scandal. Um, he got very, very, very lucky. Um, he should go and buy a lottery ticket because I think his lucky stars are coming in. Um, but what what the hell was that? So Patel is bowling and it looks like Joe hasn't played a shot. Um, and then the impact looks to be like literally scraping the bail. So it's umpires called very, 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 very tightly. Um, so, yeah, he managed to survive that somehow. I don't think he was even really sure that you could see on the pitch, like his face. He was like, am I out? Am I not out? So, yeah, it was just a bit of a mad moment. And it was too early to comprehend it, to, to be fair for me. So it was a bit mad for me. I don't even think you needed ball tracking to see that that was absolutely smashing the off stump. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how he was, I don't know how he wasn't giving out. Okay, yeah, originally India went up for the 
caught behind. It clearly missed the bat, but it was smashing right in front of the off stump. Like, could not believe that that wasn't given out. Me either. Like, it, if you like, like you said, if you look at the replay, it's just like it looks so plumb. Um, every time you watch it, but there was a few like review decisions and like umpiring, like questionable um, things throughout the match. And um, England had one where I can't remember who it was, um, but he was caught. Was it? I think was it yes. Pan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, where he'd the bat had hit the floor, uh, but then the ball had gone onto his glove and he was caught short leg Barley Pope, and the umpire just didn't roll it through. Like, which to me is just like protocol, like. When you have a review for the first thing, you just roll the whole ball through so you know exactly what you're seeing. And then it was like, no, the bat's hit the floor. And then Jeremy was like, no, can we roll it through? And they were like, yeah, we'll look at LBW. No one was questioning LBW. Like, that's not what we wanted to see. <laughs> and then he would have been out anyway. But then next ball, Moe and Annie bowled him, so it's fine. <laughs> Seriously, though, well done to Mark Butcher for holding his own in the mm. commentary box there and yes. the director to show the whole thing. Because otherwise they would have gotten away with absolute blue murder there. And yeah. it's almost, thank God that he got clean bowled the next ball because otherwise who knows how many more runs of Jinky Rahane would have gone on to make there. And thankfully, thankfully, England got their review back. But as you just said there, Emily, there were a lot of, let's, let's call them DRS dramas in this test match as well. <laughs> Um, so what caught my eye this week was England bowling on day one. They bowled okay. India batted okay. They ended up bowling between the two spinners, Leach and Moeen, and the captain, Joe Root, bowled himself for about eight to ten overs. They ended up bowling 60-plus overs worth of spin on day one, yet they still failed to bowl their 90 overs. We have enough problems with cricket anyway with overrates and not getting the allotted overs in, even with the extra half an hour. But if you're bowling 60-plus overs a spin, that's over two sessions worth, and you still can't bowl 90 overs in a day. I'm sorry. What's going on with that? We need to find a solution to this overrates problem. It's been a problem with cricket now for a long, long time. Slow over rate's going to cost Australia their chance in the World Test Championship final because they were docked on Boxing Day. And I expect England to be docked the same from the ICC for a slow over rate in their first innings. That is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, how can 60 overs of spin yield not yield less than 90 overs in a, in a, in a, in a day of play? That is just absolutely crazy. You're right with the, with the dock points. I mean, surely just, just dock them all their points, I reckon. That is just absolutely ridiculous stuff. And get, hopefully that'll help get Australia into the World Test Championship final. Well, it's a moot point now because Australia shot themselves in the foot and they can't get into the final. They need England to win some games to get them into the World Test Championship final. Um, but it, if Australia copped a penalty for a slow over eight, which wasn't that slow, bowling their inning, bowling bowling their overs in, the, in their first innings in Melbourne, surely England should come under scrutiny for having a full day and you bowl 60 plus overs of spin bowling and overs usually take about a minute. If you're bowling spin, maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes if you want to review or the balls get smacked into the crowd for six as Rohit Sharma was doing quite a lot. Um, but it should be policed a lot better by the umpires and the match referee. I think, and I think it will be, I think it happens obviously like, I think it happens way too often now I, I don't really know what England were doing. Um, when you watched the game, it didn't seem like they were 
particularly slow but then you look at the over and you were like what have you been doing for the past two hours to only roll 15 overs in however long and um, but I don't know if you guys ever saw but um on one day of a test match Alex Hales I think it was at Edgebaston England only bowled 81 overs and I don't know why that particular day but that came under a lot of that was a lot of issues and he personally refunded £8.10 to everybody in the stadium who requested his bank details or requested on Twitter um, their refund. And he personally refunded £8 to everyone to make up for that lost nine overs. £8.10, that's, that's, a, that's a fair amount. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a night on the town here in Australia. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. That's like 20 bucks. That's like two, two pints of beer over there. That's not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully when you're down here for the ashes or you're allowed to get down here for the ashes, you can check out some good watering holes down here. Yeah, so it was a, I'm going to go with the uh, England-India route as well. And something that really caught my eye was um, England's second innings bowling card. And you see, you know, at the top there, Ollie Stein with his 6.5 6. overs. And then you go Jack Leach, 33, 33 and Moen Alley, 32 overs. And then the rest of them, Stuart Broad, 9, didn't come on until well into the innings. Dan Lawrence rolled the arm over for a few. He actually got a, got a few return. It was quite, quite nice to see, but just ridiculous. I don't think I've, I've, I've ever seen a, a bowling card quite like it, to be honest. And with uh, Stuart Broad as well, you know, one of the premier bowlers of our generation, coming on, you know, bloody fourth change and bowling nine overs. I reckon it would have been a bit of a hit, hit to the ego of old Stuart. What do you guys reckon? It doesn't take much to hit his ego, though. Like, let's be real. Like, it doesn't take a lot to get there. So I'm assuming that it would have hurt his ego, definitely. Um, but yeah, it was it was weird. But like, that was just the tactic that they went with to bowl so much spin. Um, Ollie Stone actually plays at the club I support in England at, from Warwickshire. Um, and I think he was, I don't think he was upset because I think he knew sort of going into it that maybe he wouldn't get that many overs in the second innings because obviously it just was such a turning pitch. Um, but I think he was like, I just wanted a bit more opportunity to sort of show what he could do. So if it's, if it Ollie Stone is good, then Stuart Broad is definitely going to be gutted. <laughs> Does, as you said, it doesn't take much to really wrestle with his ego. The, the funny thing is with Stuart Broad and particularly watching the closing sequence of that test match today is when you've got Moe Nali clattering sixes and four and he's got Stuart Broad batting with him. Now, Broad's batting has fallen off a bit of a clip in recent years, but he's still capable of absolutely tonking them into the grandstand. And you're watching these things come through and it's like, are, are you sure that's um, you sure that's not Brody just batting? And he would have been standing at the other end going like, Jesus, Moeen, stop taking my job. This is, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Obviously, after he was hit on the nose um, quite famously by the short ball, his batting has definitely not been where it's at. It, you've seen glimpses, like some games he'll come out and whack it and you're like, whoa, okay. Uh, but then, yeah, he'd have been like Moeen, maybe this is your chance now, take the reins of that role. But Moeen batted brilliantly and Brody's definitely jealous because that's another bash with ego, probably. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Brody. Ah, uh, Brody. Hopefully he makes it back out here in for the Australia one last time for some good old um, fashion conversations over the fence. Moving on, the Australian domestic season, we starts up again after the big bash it's the marsh cup the domestic one day series we're back to the old format zach where it's you play a one day match either just before or after the shield game which is fantastic instead of just condensed and an afterthought early on in the year round robin style i personally like that giving a bit more value to that 
50 over competition and it was a new dawn for New South Wales, maybe a new dawn for Australian cricket with Pat Cummins um, taking the captaincy reins for New South Wales and he, he went pretty well. He had, his, he had a good day. He did, old Paddy. Um, just on your first point about the um the the schedule, it's fantastic to see them them go back to that uh that that old school that old school style of um you know scheduling there. I used to love back in the day. You see the the Redbacks play um a shield match, and then you know the following night they they'd be playing on one day at the Adelaide Oval, which is actually great as well because um one day domestic cricket's coming back to the Adelaide Oval um this this month as well, which is fantastic to see. It's been you know all over the place. I don't think um, SA have hardly played a game in Adelaide in one-day cricket, so that would be great to see. Um, and on Paddy Cummins, I mean, he he was outstanding, and it really shows um, the way Australia is, you know, probably wanting to go in the next few years. Pat Cummins definitely needs this experience as the captain, and, I mean, they got the win, got himself a half-century, and, and he bowled almost a half-century, and he bowled beautifully. So, I mean, but for, from, from his first day, no, no complaints from me about Paddy. Um, Steve Smith just doing what he does. Um, yes, North Sydney Oval is a postage stamp, but he made a hundred, a pretty chanceless hundred as well. Um, someone posted some ridiculous numbers on Twitter during the course of his batting innings, which basically said, if you don't get him out for single digits when he's batting for New South Wales in coloured clothing, you're basically, you're no chance of getting him out really. He's made hundred after hundred and he just continues churning out runs wherever he steps out onto a cricket field, um, Steve Smith. And I think this will be good for him as well. Go back to shield level, build some domestic form, spend some time with the next generation of cricketers as well. We saw Ollie Davies, in, he got introduced to us during the Big Bash season, but made his New South Wales debut and also didn't disappoint himself, made a 50 and really left a good impression that he's a young player to watch. And if you're a if you're a um an Australian domestic batter and you see North Sydney Oval coming up on, on the schedule, you must be absolutely licking your lips. If you've seen in recent years, you know players like Ben Dunk go out and make double hundreds there. It's an absolute postage stamp. It's an, it's it's a beautiful wicket as well. So Steve Smith would have been absolutely licking his lips at the opportunity to bat there, and he showed it. It was it was just clinical stuff from Steve, as you um, as we come to expect. He did it in the um in in the white ball series against India in November and he's really showing his um his versatility as a cricketer you know he's that he, he's that you know solid wall in test cricket but when it comes to the white ball stuff he's able to chance his arms and play a few great shots which is you know great to see and if you're a domestic cricket fan and you live in Sydney and if you want to head along to the SCG over the course of the next week you get to watch the likes of Steve Smith and Nathan Lyon and Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummins, they're all in action playing for New South Wales now that this test tour to South Africa is not going ahead. So the Sheffield Shield season recommences this week, which is fantastic for all those players that we mentioned above and all the other Australian players. Um, it's a young Victorian team, which is good, but there's still plenty of experience in there with the likes of Peter Hanscom and Marcus Harris, who have the test experience and Nick Maddinson as well, who's got a lot to prove after an injury interrupted um, big bash season and start of the domestic season as well. Zach Tim Payne's going to be leading Tasmania in Matthew Wade's absence. What, what do you, what do you think Tim Payne needs to do in this back half of the season? Obviously he didn't have the end of the end of the summer to remember. 
it's something that he's certainly going to want to work on. What are a few things that he can do here in the back end of the Shield season? I honestly don't think Tim Payne has to change too much about what he's been doing. I thought he batted beautifully through the um th- through the summer, and I've you know I was on record saying that in the in past podcasts that you know this is probably the best I've ever seen Tim Payne bat. Made that beautiful seventy in, in Adelaide that really that really saved saved the Australian team from losing that series three 0 really. So I think Tim doesn't have to do a, a hell of a lot different. You know, go out there, have a bit of fun with his Tasmanian teammates. You'll know how much he loves the game. You know, I'm, I'm sure he'll 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 learn from his um captaincy mistakes. Go and go to Tasmania and you know try and try and hone them as he as we you know prepare for the Ashes, which seems like absolute years away. And John, you said before that everyone's excited about um, the Sheffield Shield season commencing. I think there's um, that there's a few people over in South Australia who would rather um, who'd rather just skip over that. It's been it's been a bit of a rough time for us uh, Redbacks, so, so I reckon yeah, every, everyone except the South Australians are excited for that. That's a discussion certainly for a later date on what's been happening to South Australian cricket, but hopefully. For the sake of Travis Head and Alex Carey and um, their coach, Jason Gillespie, that it can really get going and up and moving very, very soon. Um, The WNCL as well has also been going along quite nicely. Victoria and New South Wales women have been playing a couple of games last week at the Junction Oval. And Zach, if you look through the team sheets of Victoria and New South Wales, it's pretty much Australia versus Australia A. It's absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't think I've, I've ever seen a domestic game of one-day cricket include such, you know, two two teams of just such high quality. It's just uh-huh. ridiculous. I mean, it's basically, yeah, as you said, it's basically Australia versus Australia, A. And yeah. I genuinely reckon that New South Wales versus Victoria would probably be the World Cup final in a, in a, um, in, in a T20 World Cup, not to take anything away from uh, England or India or any of those teams. But if you just look at, look at the talent, it's just ridiculous. So... You know, it was very, very, very interesting game. And, yeah, I've seen a, a few great performances so far in the WNCL. Well, Nick, Nick Carey made another 100 there for uh, Tasmania, I think it was. So, yeah, great, great stuff all around. Just so Emily recognises how good that um, Victoria versus New South Wales clash was, um, Healy, Haynes, Perry, Lanning, Molyneux, Wareham, and that's just a few on both sides. It's an embarrassment of riches in Victoria and New South Wales in Australian cricket at the moment. And re- it's a really good move for Australian cricket. And you've also got Taylor Valamic as well, who's come back from a long-term injury as well, which is great to see her out on the park. Zach, while South Australian men's might not be performing very well, the Scorpions are going all right. Um, Bridget Patterson, you might have heard of her she played for your beloved Adelaide Crows in the um showdown t20 match in early 2020 she's just made 100 doing some great things for the Adelaide strikers you reckon she'd be close to getting a look in to the Australian team yeah for sure I mean you know Bridget Bridget Patterson I mean obviously it was it was just a charity game back in uh February last year but I thought she kept quite nicely to the likes of uh Matthew Crouch, Paul Seedsman, Taylor Walker gave her a few off the pitch there. So I thought she did quite nicely. And yeah, I mean, obviously going out making hundreds um, is, is the best way to make it into any you know, national team. So it's just fantastic to see a young South Australian, you know, flourish at, at domestic level. And yeah, hopefully we see more, more, more SA girls in the, in the national setup because there definitely isn't enough. She can take a good catch in the outfield, Bridget Patterson. More women's cricket happening on the horizon across the ditch. The England women are 
over in New Zealand preparing for a number of white ball games. And it's a strong England squad. It's a strong New Zealand squad. England have just completed some warm-up matches as well. And pretty picturesque location there, Emily, as well, to have planes flying over and just needing to stop the game because there's a plane coming over as I'm running into bowl. Yeah, that's pretty mad. And I'm actually um, a real, like, aviation geek. So, like, I love planes. So my dream is to go to that ground and just, like, sit and watch my two favourite things, which is so sad, I completely know, but it, that that is what I want to do. But, yeah, um, England um, lost, actually, their warm-up game against New Zealand 11. Um, New Zealand 11 scored um, 316 and um, England just fell short, scoring 289. Um but yeah, it's a really exciting England squad over in New Zealand, actually. Um, they've obviously took their their, their seniors, um, the the normal players, Tammy Beaumont, Heather Knight, um, Kate Cross, all the all the regulars. Uh, but they actually took some young and exciting talent as well. Izzy Wong um, is an 18-year-old superstar, absolute superstar. I think she's going to be the first woman um, to bowl um, 80 miles an hour, which will be really exciting. Um She's got a really quick action and she's so young and so fit. So she'll be around. She'll be a, a superstar in England cricket in years to come. Um, Tash Farrant as well. She had a, a break from international cricket. She got dropped for a few years. But after we've recently had the new professional tournament in England last summer. So after her impressive performances there, she managed to get herself back into the team, which is great to see that there's now the ability for the women, because before it was sort of like if you were dropped, there was not really a way back in and um, because there was nowhere really to prove yourself to get back in. But now it's great to see that they can go take some time away from the international setup and then come back in when they're ready. But yeah, it should be a really exciting series. And yeah, I'm really excited to watch England women didn't get as much cricket as they'd have hoped last summer. So it's great that they've been able to go over to New Zealand, um, do all the quarantine protocols over there and be able to just play some cricket. It's going to be exciting to watch the battle of the young leg spinners, both Amelia Kerr for New Zealand and Sophie Eccleston for England, the number one ranked women's bowler in the world who's performed amazingly over the last couple of years for England on the international scale. It'll be great to watch those two go head to head. Yeah, I actually watched Sophie's debut um, and didn't hadn't really heard of her. I knew she played for Lancashire um, in Manchester, but hadn't really heard of her much and then she came on and bowled and I was like whoa oh my god who is this girl and then ever since then she's just every game she's improved and you can see the improvement and now she's absolutely thriving and she said she's number one bowler in the world and she totally deserves to be she's a brilliant spinner um, and she's got a long England career ahead of her. Gonna be a interesting series obviously with the 50 over Women's World Cup postponed due to COVID reasons it's great that they're getting some cricket in and the Australian women are heading over to New Zealand over I guess for New Zealand as well this is a really good opportunity for them to gain some confidence especially heading into that series against Australia where they've just constantly been shown up against their trans-Tasman rivals but from an England perspective Emily they're obviously going to Pakistan later in the year. And I don't know, you, you'll be able to tell us how much cricket they've actually got coming up in the middle of this year, leading up to the Women's Ashes series back in Australia. But what does this series mean for the England girls? Well, I think it means, in terms of just them going out, I think it means a lot to them because this is their first overseas tour um, after COVID. So it's really important that they put on a good show and get the confidence from the um, series. Yeah, and I think it 
I think the preparation is key. They haven't had as much cricket as the men have in England, and that's quite a big talking point over here. Um, they managed to get some cricket against South Africa in the summer, but it wasn't loads. And I think they did have sort of one eye on the 50-over World Cup, but obviously with that being cancelled, I think that was sort of a weight off their shoulders that they can sort of have a bit more time to prepare. And this New Zealand um, series has come at a great time. There's a lot of talent in that squad that will be looking to just go and put a performance out. There's not a massive load of pressure on it. They've, they've qualified for the World Cup, so there's nothing like that to think about. They'll just be looking to go out and get some cricket under their belt, which is exactly what they need. And we mentioned her before, but Amelia Kerr, she did something quite amazing on the weekend that caught my eye. This probably should have been in I'm Sorry What, but Zach, have you ever taken a hat-trick and not realised that you've taken a hat-trick because you've just been appealing so much? I've taken a hat-trick in under nines, but... <laughs> I, I I definitely knew I took the hatchery. I mean, it was probably the best moment of my cricket career. So, yeah, that's that's um that's very odd. That one. How can you know you've got a hatchery? It's yeah. Well, um, Amelia Kerr in the Super Smash final um over in New Zealand on the weekend was lining up by a hatchery ball and just didn't realise she'd taken the hatchery. She'd clean bowled them, but she was busy appealing for LBW. It was something quite amusing. Um. We're nearly done. It's just time for a few of these. So it's that time of the week, um, quick singles, where we just hit everyone with very quick questions and hopefully everyone provides a quick answer, which is very good. Emily, to you first, if you had to choose one over 30 or under 30, which version of Jimmy Anderson is better? Over 30. Zach, should the World Test Championship just be banned after this year? I think it should because Australia aren't in the final, to be honest. But if Australia <laughs> were in the final, then I'd say play it. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's a good, it's, it, it'd be good to play. I mean, obviously COVID's... Um, had a big impact on a lot of things. So I reckon just if this was able to, you know, go ahead, it'd be a great for world cricket. Um, now for you, Jono, um, who will keep Fringland in the first Ashes test? Well, this is very topical, especially this week and after the performance of Ben Folks and obviously England wanting to pick the likes of Besto and Butler. I think Joss Butler will be the keeper for their first test in Brisbane. I don't think is the best wicketkeeper that they can pick. And somehow if England can manage to get their batting order to accommodate the likes of Bearstow, Butler and folks like they've done in the past and picking three keepers in the same 11, um, it's certainly one to watch. But I think they love the batsman ability of Joss Butler more than his keeping ability and his way to change the game that I think he'll be able, I think he'll be the one to really take the gloves um zach one for you who is the purest six hitter in the game at the moment the purest i'm gonna have to go ben stokes i mean richard Pump probably hits the most sixes but when ben stokes gets onto them they go and just the way that he hits it it's so clean and pure so i'm gonna go with ben stokes i reckon there Jono. um i've got one for you now emily um what's the west indies series win in bangladesh their biggest triumph over the last five years um well, five years is just on the cusp of 2016 World T20. Um, so I'm going to say no, because I think beating England would be their biggest triumph. But I, I definitely think it's up there. Jono, um, should we drop the toss in Test Match Cricket? 
This has been discussed quite a bit. I don't think so. I think the toss is a great part of the game. And even in home, you need to make use of the home conditions and you can't just be gifting that to the opposition, especially if, if, if you want to make a game out of it. So, no, the toss should be here to stay. But I can understand why the chatters come up again this week. Um, Zach, one for you. Is Pat Cummins being given the New South Wales captaincy for the one days in the Marsh Cup? Is it a sign of things to come? I think it is. I mean, I personally don't think he should be the captain of Australia. I, I, I like the idea of Pat Cummins just being a bowler and focusing completely on that. But the fact that they've, they've given him this captaincy and New South Wales effectively being like, a you know, another Australian team um, over the years, I think it's a sign of things, things to come. And, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the, uh, the, the next giver of Australia. And now one for you, Emily. Um, is Ravi Chandranashwin the best spinning all-rounder of all time? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I would say so maybe. Um, I have actually only watched cricket for about four or five years. So my older players, I'm really sorry if I'm forgetting someone, but at the, at, from my, my mind that, yeah, at the moment he is, um, to bowl the way he does and then come out and have the grit to bat is really, really impressive at the moment. Um, Ali is great, but yeah, no, um, Ashwin is up there. It was certainly great to watch Ashwin find his batting form again and is really performed well. Um, that's about all I've got for this week. Um, it's been another hell of a week in the world of cricket, and I'm sure as it goes on and as wild as 2021 gets, there'll be plenty more t- of cricket to talk about, and we will cover it all here at Over and Stumps. If you like what we do here, you can find us on Twitter at Over and Stumps, where you can see all our podcasts, all our great writing stuff at the Inner Sanctum, at Inner Sanctum underscore AU on Twitter and www.innersanctum.com.au. Emily, well done. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Great first run. Um, We'll be happy to have you back. Zach, always good stuff from you. Cheers, Jono. And hopefully by by the next match, we'll be seeing your your head on Shubman Gill's bat. Oh. We'll, we'll be I getting onto wait. the bu- we'll be getting onto the buses very very soon. Hopefully, Shulman Gill is right to play in that next match. Until then, guys, it is over and stumps.